Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. According to TMZ, we are going to find out exactly what caused the February 23rd car accident involving Tiger Woods. The Los Angeles Sheriff's Department is expected to announce the results of their investigation into the single car accident which left Woods with multiple comminuted open fractures to his right leg, an ankle injury, and trauma to the leg muscles. You might recall he was driving around 7 a.m. in Rolling Hills Estates when his SUV hit a raised median, it crossed a couple of oncoming lanes, and it drilled a tree. Now, the fact that the Sheriff's Department is going to be making the results of their investigation public today is interesting, given the fact that last week they said they would not be doing that. Remember? Last Wednesday, ESPN had a piece that began with the following sentence, quote, The Los Angeles County Sheriff says detectives have determined what caused Tiger Woods to crash his his SUV last month in Southern California, but would not release details Wednesday, citing unspecified privacy concerns for the Gulf Star, end quote. So at that time, it seemed kind of weird. Seemed like kind of a weird thing to say, like, we've got the black box. We know exactly what happened, but we're not saying. And yes, I do understand the argument that if they found that there was no crime committed, then how much does it really matter to the general public what the cause of the crash was? I get that. But as Joseph Jocalone, a professor at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice and a retired New York City Police Department sergeant said, quote, I don't think I've ever seen a department ever ask for permission like that. What happens if his lawyers say, no, you can't send it out now? Then where does that leave us? End quote. All right, so a lot of weirdness, except, and the good news is, all that weirdness is now past us because, according to TMZ, the Sheriff's Department is going to release the findings today. So we are finally going to get to the bottom of this whole thing. We're finally going to get a straightforward explanation as to what happened and what can be learned from this. No, we're not. Not according to TMZ, we're not. Because according to TMZ, quote, Tiger Woods' car crash was caused by excessive speed. But there may be more to the story that we may never know. The TMZ report went on, and I quote, Sources with direct knowledge tell TMZ, Tiger was speeding when he lost control of his SUV, and we're told the sheriff is hanging the cause of the accident squarely on speed. End of quote. Those are the results of the investigation that Tiger was speeding. That's what y'all came up with. Hey, look, I'm no Columbo, but I could have pieced that one together from my living room. All I had to do was take one look at that wrecked rig, and I pretty much could have told you that speed was a factor in that crash. This guy's got injuries consistent with jumping into a trash compactor and turning it on. And you're going to sit here and tell me speed may have been a factor. Awesome. And I'm going to sit here and tell you water might be wet. You take all this time to investigate this wreck, and this is your conclusion. That dude may have been going too fast. That's it. 
You know what? That's really not much better than me saying, you know, I've conducted my own investigation into the Woods wreck by looking at a few picks online. I've determined the dude was just driving too damn fast and I will not be taking questions at this time. So you tell me, you tell me how my investigation is any different than the actual investigation done by authorities. And wait, there's more from TMZ. Quote, we're told the SUV's black box shows the Tiger actually accelerated at the time of the crash. We're also told that as Tiger lost control of the SUV, it actually gained speed. What the sheriff's department does not know, if Tiger was conscious when he lost control and careened down the embankment, end quote. So, not only was speed a factor, but according to TMZ, the speed increased just as Tiger lost control of the car. Just don't ask why. Because either they didn't bother investigating that, or they don't know, or they're just not saying. Only that cause of the accident is probably excessive speed. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Maybe, maybe he was on his phone when it went down. After all, texting and driving are essentially as dangerous as drinking and driving. Or so we're led to believe. So maybe that's what happened. That would be a reasonable assumption and one that you might want to investigate. But according to TMZ, and I quote, law enforcement sources tell us the sheriff's department did not get a warrant to check Tiger's cell phone to determine if he was on a call or texting at the time of the crash. Our sources say the department felt it did not have probable cause to get a warrant for cell phone records, although that is often done in accident investigations, end quote. Wait, what? You have a vehicle that, from the sounds of it, accelerated at a very strange time, hit a median, crossed through two lanes of oncoming traffic, and uprooted a tree. But you're not going to check to see whether or not he was on the phone. And you're also not going to pull any blood to check to see if there were any substances involved, even though this is a person with a history of operating a vehicle while on a substance. Listen, I don't know how many investigations like this are normally conducted, or I should say, I don't know how they're normally conducted. I'm certainly no expert in this field. I'm not saying I am. I would never profess to that. But it would seem like checking cell phone records and drawing blood for testing might be a part of the investigation when somebody appears to be randomly start speeding, jumping medians, and posing a threat to others and themselves at 7 o'clock in the morning. I mean, don't they do that? Wouldn't they do that if it happened to you or if it happened to me? And no, I'm not saying that Woods got preferential treatment. But what I am saying is I could see how you might think that. When you run down the list of things, the fact that cell phone records were not pulled, blood was not drawn. Last week, the sheriff's department was saying they wanted to check with him before they talked about it publicly. Yeah, all that together, and you could see why people might think that there was preferential treatment here. So at best, the whole investigation is really weird. And at worst, dude did get all sorts of preferential treatment because of who he is. I don't know. I don't know. My bottom line is, and I want to be very clear about this, my bottom line is the same as it's been. I'm relieved that Tiger survived. I'm relieved that he's going to be okay, that he'll heal up, 
He'll recover, and then he can spend quality time with his family and live the life that he wants to live. That's the main thing. And that the investigation is really weird with a lot of questions. Questions that apparently are always going to be there because the investigators didn't think to ask them or they know the answers and they're just not going to give them to us. A little reaction before we go to break. Hey, Sheriff's Department, it's Tiger. Um, if anyone calls, I'll need you to tell them that you don't have the accident info. I need you to do this for me. Huge. Hey, Steven uh, PHX. Tiger. I need you to do me a huge favor. Um, can you please uh, take your name off your phone? My wife went through my phone and uh, maybe calling you. So if you can, please take your name off that. And, um, what do you call it? Just have it as a number on the voicemail. Just have it as your telephone number. Okay, you gotta do this for me. Huge. Quickly. Alright, bye. Hey, uh, is it too soon for jokes like that? Because if it's not, what I want to say is, hey, uh, do me a favor. Go into your phone and take your name out and, uh, just put speeding. Just put excessive speed in there. Hey, do me a favor. Uh, take blood out. Take out texting, take out talking while driving, take out texting, take out blood draw, and uh, just put excessive speeding. If it's not too soon. Hey, you know what? Small changes towards a healthier lifestyle can add up in a big way, but maybe you're not sure where to begin. Let me talk to you about Grove Collaborative. Running to the store has been pretty stressful of late, and there's nothing worse than forgetting something on your list and needing to make multiple trips. Shopping for home essentials should be easy and convenient, and that's where Grove Collaborative comes in. Healthy, plant-based, non-toxic cleaning products that work, and the good ones are actually more enjoyable to use. But where do you start and who do you trust? Grove Collaborative. Grove is the online marketplace that delivers healthy home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. Grove Collaborative takes the guesswork out of going green. Browse the site for thousands of home, beauty, and personal care products, all guaranteed to be good for you, your family, your home, and your planet. So join over 2 million households who have trusted Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier, and shipping is fast and free on your first order. Making the switch to natural products has never been easier. For a limited time, when you go to grove.co slash Rome, you will get to choose a free gift with your first order of $30 or more. But you have to use our special code. Go to grove.co slash Rome to get your exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash Rome. Christian Derisaw is my guest. Christian, good to have you on. How are you? I'm great. How you doing? Good, good. Listen, I'm curious, with each day bringing us even closer to the draft, what has the process been like for you overall? For instance, is this something you enjoy, or are you looking forward to just hitting that that button to fast-forward this thing so you can hear your name getting called? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it right now, for sure. Um, but I know there will be a time uh, when, when the button does get called, and I know what team I'm going to and everything, and I'm ready for that moment for sure. All right, so let me ask you this. I think so people can fully understand your journey to this point. We've got to go back to when you were in high school. How would you describe yourself as a player in high school? Um, in high school, uh, I was very aggressive. Uh, the competition was kind of easier, though. I didn't really play, like, in a big conference or everything, so it was easier in high school for sure. 
It was easier, but at the same time, you were at Riverdale Baptist, and your coach there, Caesar Nettles, said that he could not understand why you were not being heavily recruited. He told the Athletic that you had as high a ceiling as anybody he was coaching at that time, but in the middle of your senior year, you only had three offers on the table, and they were from FCS schools. So what was that time like? Were you at all concerned about your future? Um. I wasn't concerned at all. I just do like whatever like the plan was. I was gonna make the most out of it, and then like whatever I can do from there, just take it from there and just run with it. Uh, I always been slept on like the underdog, um, so I knew like whatever I was putting, I was gonna work regardless. I just make the most out of my situation. Christian Darasa is joining us. So in terms of the situation, Virginia Tech started to call Holman Wiggins, who was your primary recruiter there, said mm-hmm. after you committed that he could not understand why nobody was recruiting you, and he started to wonder why nobody else was seeing what he was seeing. So right. what what did you think about that program at that time? Oh, um, I just knew that they, they seen something to me that the other coach was uh, definitely missing out on. Um and I knew like they, they like they trusted me and they knew I was gonna be a great player. So it was just like that from there on, from right there, uh, I just knew like I gotta make the most out of this opportunity and I just can't look back. All right, so they knew, they understood, but at the same time you ultimately decided to go to Fork Union Military Academy for a year before you went to Virginia right. Tech. Now, it, the story goes that when you go there, you have to turn in your cell phone, you're not allowed to bring a personal computer. Was that the case? And if so, what was that like? Oh, yeah, that's definitely the case. Um, they take your phones. Uh, you get school-issue laptops. Like, the Wi-Fi turns off at a certain time and everything. So it just feels like you're disconnected from the world, like, a little bit. Um, you got to have, like, your phone card if you want to make phone calls and everything. But after the first few weeks, um, once you get, like, adjusted and everything, um, it was kind of like it wasn't bad. Um, I enjoyed my time there for sure. Um, it was a great experience. And, like, if I had to do it again, I would. I had no problems with it. That's really interesting. Like, I've got a 16-year-old son, dude, and if I took his cell phone and I turned off or I took his personal computer and I turned off his Wi-Fi, man, I don't know that that kid could acclimate. I'd like to find out. Exactly. I'd like to find out, man. I think that's great. Christian Derrissaw joining us. Now, the story goes that while you were at Fork Union, other schools then suddenly do start to get interested and they start coming Mm -hmm. around. Coach Nettles talks about the fact that Recruiting services had you as a two-star recruit when you left high school, but a four-star recruit one year later when you left Fork Union. So what was it like to all of a sudden have these schools start coming around and have that kind of interest? Um, It was just like, it was kind of like a, I don't know how, like a fake love, I guess you could say. Like, if you wasn't there for me, like in the beginning, how Virginia Tech was and the, like other FBS schools, like, I don't want you now. Uh, I'm just going to keep proving y'all wrong. Because clearly y'all seeing something now that, that I didn't see before. So it's like, I'm just going to keep proving the doubt is wrong and everything and, and just keep moving on from okay, there. Okay, now that, that's, that's some real talk right there. I appreciate that. I respect that. When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Christian Derrissaw joining us. You go to Virginia Tech. You start the first game of your freshman year at left tackle. That's really mm-hmm. rare. What do you remember about that and earning that job and then debuting against Florida State? Uh, it's like all the hard work. Um, just, just listening to like the older guys in the room. 
um, just like how to train, how to take care of your body and everything, and study the playbook. Uh, they played a huge role in that. And then, like, just earning that job, I knew what came with it. Like, I could lose at any moment, so I just had to keep working hard and everything. And I couldn't get, like, too, like, big-headed or anything, just, like, no state-level-headed at all times, and everything will work out from there. But uh, that first game versus Florida State, Brian Burns, man, was crazy <laughs> for sure. I was going to say, it wasn't just that first game at left tackle in Florida State. It was against Brian Burns, who went on to be right. a first-round pick, and he had nine sacks last year for the Panthers. So what was that right. matchup like? Oh, man, it was crazy. Like, I didn't even know who he was until, like, the night before we were in the hotel. Um, me and my roommate, we were both freshmen. We were watching, uh, like, the, I don't know, it was game on. And we seen the commercials, like, us playing them. And they, and they showed 99. I was like, who is that? I looked him up. I was like, oh, my God. Like, he was he was one of, like, the premier DNs of college football. I was like, man, it's going to be a tough one for sure. <laughs> who is that? That's that dude I'm going to have to deal with all day long. Toes. Christian Derrissaw right. joining us. So then you got Vance Vice, who was your offensive line coach at Tech. He said that what sets you apart is that you obviously work really hard with the team in practice, but you do a lot of stuff on your own. Where did that approach come from, and what kinds of things were you doing on your own off to the side? Um, it really came from, like, the older guys. Just, like, what, what it's going to take to, just, like, get to that next level. And just doing extra, doing more is really what it's going to take like, to be a better player. And this is, like, coming in before practice, maybe, like, watching a little bit of film or just staying after, um, just working on different steps and techniques uh, that I feel like I was weak at. And then um, another thing I would do, just, like, just get the old line like, a few of us, just to go over, like, a few plays that we, we had miscommunications on and everything. So definitely the older guys instilled that in me. Christian Derrissaw joining us for a few more moments. So in your mind, what makes a great offensive tackle? For instance, is it technique? Is it work ethic? Is it film study? Is it something else? What's the great separator? I, I think it's, it's all that, really. Um, you got to watch your film because you got to know how that defensive end is going to react to what type of set. You take a vertical set or a jam set or whatever. Um, you definitely got to know how he's going to react. And then it's like a guy who cares about the game, really. You got to be physical. Um, at all times, and just know, like, uh, never take a playoff, really. Um, once you take that playoff, that might be the play that y'all need to win the game. So just don't take a playoff. you got to be physical, smart, uh, know what the defenses are doing. That comes with watching film, and I really feel like you'll be set from there. All right, so with this mindset and with a work ethic like that, with your base talent, you're getting a lot of attention right now, is a potential first-round pick. What's your reaction when you hear that, and what would it mean to you to go in the first round? Uh, my reaction, I'm really not – trying to like buy into the hype and everything um like when draft night gets here we'll see what happens and everything i know anything can happen on draft night so it's like that that part is what it is Like you can't get too big headed like i said um and it's just like when draft night when i do hear my name calls it's gonna feel like a dream come true um all the hard work that i put in and everything to finally like just to get to this level uh, will be a dream come true for me. All right, so finally, where do you come out on this? Like, you're taking this all in stride, as I might expect. But so is there a party that feels like, you know, I've done all the work and I'm finally getting the respect that I've earned? Or are you still approaching this like a two-star recruit from Prince George's County, Maryland? Oh, yeah, two-star recruit for sure. We're talking about the draft. It's coming up on April 29th, the 2021 NFL Draft. Another name to watch, getting a lot of attention, is a potential first-round pick, Christian Darris on my guest. Christian, great to have you on the show. Good luck with that, and I'll look for you once you decide or once it is decided where you end up. I'd love to talk to you again. Thank you.
Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Of course. This time, though, don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire, and it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Dalvin Tomlinson is my guest. Dalvin, great to have you on. How are you? It's pretty good to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's pretty good to have you here. In fact, it's really good to have you here. Let me ask you, if we were to go back to free agency, it's a process that can be pretty exciting or it can be pretty stressful. How did you approach it, and what was the experience like for you? Um, it was pretty exciting for me. You know, it's the first time going to free agency. You, know, you just sit there and pretty much wait in your free time to see what's going to happen. All right, so the Minnesota Vikings made no secret of the fact that you were their number one priority. I'm curious, what kind of conversations did you have with them, and what was it about the Vikings that made you feel like that was the spot for you? Uh, yeah, you know, the Vikings have a great organization, and um, just talking to them about how excited they were to have me and um, what I can bring to the table to help them out on in the upcoming seasons. And, um, yeah, just I just felt super excited about the opportunity to be there with the players they have and everything. I just felt like it was the right fit. Dalvin Tomlinson is my guest. Now, late in the season, they were having some trouble stopping the run. They allowed 199 yards to the Bears, then 264 yards to the Saints. So what's your plan when it comes to helping that team deal with the run? You know, I'm just bring a physical aspect up front, and um, you have to be physical up front to help stop the run. So physicality is one of my strong suits, I feel like. That is, and as good as you are at stopping the run, you can also get after the quarterback as well. And there aren't too many guys who can play on the interior and still get after the quarterback. So how do you explain your success in that area, and how much pride do you take in the fact that you are effective in both areas? Um, I take a lot of pride in it. <clears throat> it uh, and simply just because, you know, you have to be able to stop the run to get to the passer. Because uh, if not, they're going to just continue to run the ball all day, so... I pride myself in stopping the run and also just, like you said, having a sneaky pass rush every here and there to get back to affect the quarterback. So I just pride myself in it. Right. Dalvin Tomlinson joining us. You know, over the years when I talk to pass rushers, they talk about the fact that everybody always wants to talk about sacks, but that's not the only way to impact a passer. Like, for instance, how much of what you do is about collapsing the pocket and forcing the quarterback off his rhythm or into uncomfortable spots? Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, batting balls down, just <clears throat> knocking the offensive lineman into the quarterback's lap to get him uncomfortable with his throws throughout the game. All that's big on affecting the quarterback throughout the game. And um, sometimes the batted ball is more, is, impacts the quarterback more than a sack would. Dalvin Thomason is joining us. Exactly. It's always about that sack stat, but there's so much more to it. Now, I didn't mention off the top, you're the only member of the 2017 draft class to start every game over the past four seasons. Of course, you know the old saying, right? Availability is the best ability. So what's it mean to have that reputation that your teammates know they can count on you every single week, pretty much regardless? Um, that's great to have that reputation because, you know, the goal is always to be healthy so you can go out there and give you all each and every week and um, just – I didn't even know that. That's crazy. But, um, yeah, you know, just like just have to take care of yourself and take care of your body because 
you never know how long you're going to be able to play, so you want to put yourself in the best position to play for as long as possible. Right. I mean, some of that's luck, but a lot of that, most of that is taking care of yourself and taking care of your body. So how do you go about doing that? Like, what are the types of things that you do to take care of your body to make sure that you can play every single week? Um, cold tub, contrast, uh, cryo chambers, acupuncture, massages, things like that, stretching. Um, all that goes into a daily routine when you're in, a, in a NFL and um you can't just slack off with it. You have to do it even though it may be days you don't feel like or you're super tired. You have to make sure you do those things. Dalvin Tomlinson joining us. Now, this is also of note. You were 169-2. and two. 169-2 and two is a high school wrestler, including three state championships in Georgia. The first loss you suffered was in your very first match. The other loss was when you hip-tossed a dude onto his neck. When you're that dominant at something, like what was every match like for you? Were you ever concerned that you could lose? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I used to get butterflies before every single match. And, um, uh, yeah, wrestling, you know, you wrestle like six, seven times a day so sometimes. So it's just like, you know, you get those butterflies that many times a day. You just like that. You don't want to eat anything and things like that. And um, I used to just look at almost every single player, every single wrestler, just like the smallest details. Like if somebody has tape on their wrestling shoes, I'm like, oh, they're super good. Like it's going to be, if it's going to feel like a state championship match. <laughs> I mean, Dalvin, I can understand that approach, but since you mentioned the state championship match, is it true that you won a state championship match in nine seconds? Nine. Yes, so it was my senior year. Uh, I won in nine seconds, my last match, actually. And um, I think it was a little bit faster, but they didn't want to give me uh, six, <laughs> seven seconds, so they said nine. Dude, was it really six seconds? I would like to think so, but I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied with nine seconds. I got it. Dalvin Thomason joining us. You know, I had Osa Digizuba on the program yesterday, a defensive line draft prospect from UCLA. He also had a really successful high school wrestling career. We talked about the mindset that you need to develop to be successful in wrestling and that you're going to have that leverage and you have the use of your hands. Like, how much did it help you? And you know this physically, right? But from a mental standpoint, how much has wrestling helped you at this level? I feel like uh, in wrestling, you have to, it's the most mentally toughest sport it is simply because there's no one to help you or back you up out there. It's like mano y mano. And you have to figure, you have to make things happen on your own. It's all on you. If you lose, it's on you. If you win, it's on you. And you can't tag somebody in to help you out. And then the training for it is not the, nowhere near the easiest thing on the world. It's, the condition is crazy. <laughs> right, right. So are you an MMA guy? Do you like combat sports? Uh, yeah, I like MMA. Uh, I try to watch it when I have some free time, but I'm always video gaming, so you got to make time for it. You got to. Dalvin Thomason joining me for a few more moments. You also said that back in the day your wrestling coach was a dude in his 50s, shorter than you, maybe with a beer gut, but he could beat you in wrestling. Like, how did those matches go? What made that guy so good? Um, just <laughs> wisdom, I would say wisdom technique and just knowing exactly what you're doing at all, at all times, uh, coach Doug Hutzler and, uh, Marty Hutzler, both the Hutzler brothers, pretty much, uh, hands down some of the best coaches I ever had in my life, uh, on and off the field. And they, I'm pretty much the man I am today because of those two. Because of those two. And then also, Dalvin, I would imagine, like, when you look at your family background, your father passed away when you were just five. Your mother passed away suddenly when you were in high school. And you've said that you've had aunts and cousins who stepped in as mother figures and uncles who were father figures. What did it mean to have that kind of support of your family through such painful, painful losses? 
Uh, it means a lot, especially at, the, at a young age. You have a family to fall back on. Uh, means everything because when uh, people go through losses of that significance uh, through their life, you got to have someone you can grieve with and go to at all times to help you out and help you just uh, continue to live the way that your loved one wants you to live. So uh, having a great family, that uh, support to fall to um, meant everything for me. And what about your mom? Like, for instance, what was your mom like? What were the types of things that she used to tell you and what kind of an impact did she have on you? Um, my mom was my best friend. Uh, she had the greatest impact on me. Um, she was a big video game, and that's why I love video games now. Um, she was always the person to put everyone before herself, and um, she was just selfless. And um, she was a great, loving woman, always laughing, always smiling. And, um, yeah, she just motivated me. She always made sure that academics came before sports, that she was a huge football fan. <laughs> And um, she loved to watch me and my brother play sports. Uh, she was always at every football game, every wrestling match, and uh, track me, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, she was a great, loving woman, and that's who I mold my life after today. That is an awesome tribute. Dalvin Tomlinson joining me for a few more moments. I know academics were important because, as some people know, in addition to being recruited to Alabama, Harvard was also very interested in you. How did you go about deciding between Harvard and Alabama? <laughs> Um, like I said, we grew up uh, based on academics. So I used to always say when I was a kid, I'm going to Harvard. I'm going to get me a Harvard degree. Uh, and, um, yeah, in high school, I just got an offer from Harvard. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be mainly academics. And I, I just that was amazing for me just to know that my academic side was acknowledged just, just as strong, strongly uh, as my athletic side. And, um, yeah, you know, I always – said I wanted to go get a Harvard degree and things. So after football, at the NFL, I had to go back and get one. That would be an awesome thing. So finally then, what about the football experience at Alabama? That's as good as it gets. You're a two-time national champion. As you look back, what kind of memories do you have and what was that experience like? Um, it was amazing. Uh, you know, Coach Saban cares about his players. Uh, he, the number one thing he always wants everyone to graduate. And um, that's, that's why I had so much more respect for Coach Saban because he always, like, is, you were late to a class, you might end up having a random meeting with Coach Saban in his office, which is scary. And uh, he'd be like, why are you late to class? Or why are these grades dropping? Or you, need, you, might, you might need help with more study hall with this class and this and that so you could be on track to graduate early, if not on time and things like that. And, you know, he cares about you off the field also and wants your full potential in life, not just football. Did you ever get that? Did anybody ever hit you with, yo, D, Coach wants to see you in his office? Yeah, I got called to office a couple of times, but it always wasn't like academic. It may be like a leadership thing or something. But um, yeah, whenever uh, someone a random phone number calls you and say you have a meeting with Coach Saban at like noon or something like that, y'all your heart drops a little bit. I was gonna say, man, you're a pretty competent guy and a pretty confident guy. Was that scary when that call comes in? Most definitely, you never know what to expect. <laughs> I know it can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or you're running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting on a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not there yet, you might feel a bit tempted to try to sneak across the tracks. Don't ever do it. To the naked eye, trains appear to be further away and moving slower than they actually are, and they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. Over one mile to stop. Think about 
about that. By that time, it's too late, and the result is a potentially deadly crash. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it's going to end in disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. Paid for by NHTSA. We are joined by their new head coach, Shaka Smart. Shaka, good to have you back. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Jim. It's good to have you back, Shaka. Thanks so much. Now, you grew up in Wisconsin, just south of Madison. So, first off, what does it mean to be back in the state and leading a program with the history of Marquette? It's great. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Marquette has such a rich tradition, and it's really cool to be at a place that's just infatuated with basketball 365 days a year. So looking forward to rolling up our sleeves and getting to work. All right, so to that point, like it would be pretty easy to see this as a homecoming, but at the same time, how much of that decision then was about returning to the state where you grew up as opposed to how much of it is about the opportunity itself at Marquette? Really more about the opportunity. Uh, I would have gone to Marquette wherever it was. Uh, certainly the best thing about coming to this region of the country is getting a chance to be close to my mom who lives in Madison. Uh, but to be honest with you, is, is really about coming to Marquette. The alignment here from the president on down as it relates to commitment to basketball and what goes into winning and again, the fact that you know basketball is, is really the front porch of the university and very, very central to the success of the university. We're talking to Shaka Smart. You know, Shaka, you were born in the year that Marquette won the national championship, and you grew up watching Marquette games. What do you remember about those days of the program and those teams? Well, I remember a lot of exciting uh, teams and a lot of exciting players. Uh, I remember you know, just watching those games as a young guy, getting to know college basketball, and I didn't really understand much that went into, you know, just the competitive level that there is here. But I just remember uh, being excited about watching, te- watching teams put up a lot of points here at Marquette. Talking to Shaka Smart, you know, it seems to me when you look at a program or you evaluate a job, there are things that you can see, you know, things like the facilities or the number of season ticket holders, the resources for the program. But you've talked about the feeling that you had when you started to think about and research Marquette and that there are certain things that you just can't quantify. How would you describe that feeling? You're exactly right, Jim. Uh, when I first got here uh, about a week ago, a little over a week ago, I, I was able to go into the, the arena, Serve Forum, and – you're right. You can't quantify that. You, you, you can't uh, really put a number on what it feels like to go in that special of a place. And then, again, just the, the reception and the way that people uh, feel and demonstrate their passion for this program, something you can't really put a number on. But it's fun to be around uh, because it, it, there's, a, there's kind of a common feeling of, okay, we're going to go try to do this. Talking to Shaka Smart at Marquette. You know, the story goes to back in 2014. They pursued you, but you ultimately decided to stay at VCU. What made you feel then like this was the right time for you and your family now as opposed to then? Yeah, different time, Jim. Uh, a lot of different circumstances. It, it, there was kind of an erroneous report uh, at, at that time that I was actually in Milwaukee. I remember being in my kitchen in Richmond, Virginia, and a bunch of people calling me saying, hey, are you in Milwaukee? Um, but uh, to be honest with you, one of my favorite players of all time was a junior at VCU at that time. There was no way I was leaving him. 
uh, going into his senior year. So sometimes it's about situational factors. It's about timing. And I just felt like this was a great time for my family and I to come up here. We're talking to Shaka Smart. I can respect that. You know, timing is everything. Now, you're coming off a year at Texas, which included winning the Big 12 tournament. You were ranked as high as number four in the country. Knowing that, it seems to me it would have to be a pretty special thing to get you to leave. Why was the time right? And was that tough to leave? It's always tough to leave just because of relationships. Uh, Texas is a phenomenal place, as you know, Jim, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of terrific things about that university, that fan base. Uh, but, you know, when I started kind of adding everything up and my wife and I discussed the opportunity, we just felt like it, it was something that was a slam dunk for us. Um, so it ended up actually not being that tough of a decision because we looked at the potential of what could occur here. Uh, and you never know. There's no crystal ball on anything, but we really liked uh, that opportunity here at Marquette. So, Shaka, what's that feel like when you talk about what can occur here? What kind of a ceiling are we talking about? Or maybe is there not one? What can occur there if all goes the way you want it to go? Well, you know, the interesting thing, Jim, is at this day and age of college basketball, there is so much in flux. Uh, there is so much up in the air with rule changes, with name, image, and likeness, with uh, transfer changes. Uh, you know, with some of the things that have, have adjusted with COVID. But I do feel like, you know, in a program like this, uh, if you look at what Tom Crean did, uh, you know, Buzz Williams had a heck of a run with, with phenomenal teams. I think you can recruit really talented young men. I think you can get them to buy into uh, understanding how special this program is to this place and buy into being a part of that. And then it's about, you know, making sure that, you take advantage of that on the court, and you got to have a, a little bit of luck as well. But I, I really think this is a place where you can do something special. Shaka Smart's joining us. He's a Marquette now. Like Shaka, you have always struck me as somebody who's looking to learn and grow and evolve. And the game obviously is changing so much, as you mentioned. For instance, when you think back to when you first stepped on the court in Austin, how much has the game changed? And then how much have you changed as a coach, even in recent years? It's changed a lot, Jim. You know, one thing that – it's funny. We pressed every possession at VCU, and everyone asks me all the time, you know, why don't you go back to doing that? And there's a few reasons why, but one of them is the game's officiated differently. Uh, you can't trap and uh, have the physicality out in the open floor nearly as much as you could 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, you certainly can be physical around the basket. They allow a lot of that. But when you're out on the floor, it's different. So certainly the game's evolved in that way. I think the game has gotten a little bit smaller, too, from the standpoint of uh, positionally. Uh, there's no power forwards that look like Carl Malone anymore. You know, there's a lot of guys, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, maybe 200 pounds, uh, really, really versatile, can shoot the ball, can put the ball on the floor. And so I think adjusting with that and understanding that uh, what other teams are going to have and how best you can counteract that is what you have to do as a coach. We're talking to Shaka Smart. So if the game has changed and the way the game is officiated has changed and the players have changed, Shaka, what about the culture itself and the culture you're looking to instill? For instance, the culture that you instilled at VCU versus Texas, has that changed? And what kind of a culture are you looking to instill now at Marquette? That has changed, Jim, uh, for sure. Now, there's certain foundational elements that my mom taught me when I was a young kid that I will always believe in. Things like appreciation, enthusiasm, uh, having a passion for what you're doing, embracing a common goal. So 
those parts of culture will never change for me. Uh, but certainly some of the details, uh, I've evolved a lot with uh, just my thinking on uh, how best to relate to these young guys. Uh, when I was at Texas, uh, there was a coach, an AAU coach, that said something to me that always stuck with me. He said, you can't expect to recruit this high of a level of players and not expect them to have individual goals beyond college. And I thought he was exactly right. So uh, basketball is a fascinating game because it's an interplay between a consummate team sport but then also one where there's a ton of individual considerations, obviously from the NBA on down. Wow, that's interesting, right? Like, how do you balance that? Well, very carefully, man. I mean, you, you, you have to balance it through relationships. And I think if you can get guys to understand that really buying into and supporting and promoting team success throughout the season and particularly late in the season is going to boost their opportunities uh, individually beyond college, then you have a chance to, to kind of do both. Uh, but it's, it's tough because we live in a time where, and this is part of my cultural emphasis as well here, it's so easy to get outside the moment, um, but it's so important to be lost in the present. And anything special that you do in sports happens in the present. And unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of factors, a lot of things, social media otherwise, that can pull guys' minds into the past or future. Right, more than ever. More than ever before. And I don't want to lose track of this, Shaka. When you listed things that were important to you and to instilling this uh, culture, you mentioned enthusiasm. Like, that doesn't seem like that big of a thing, right? On the surface, it doesn't seem that important. How important is enthusiasm? And then how contagious can it be if the right guy or two have it? Incredibly important, Jim. I mean, I wish that you and I could put a number on it. I tried a couple times at VCU to measure it in different ways, but I really think if we were, to, if we were just going to guesstimate, I think it's worth between 8 and 10 points in a basketball game, just to having the enthusiasm advantage. But if you think about it just in life, uh, the more enthusiastic person has such an advantage compared to whoever else it is. The most enthusiastic player I ever coached was a young man by the name of Briante Weber at VCU. He had no scholarship offers coming out of high school. He was six, two, six foot two, 150 pounds. His enthusiasm took him all the way to the NBA for a few years, and that was always a lesson to me. Like, wow, like just the energy and the passion that someone has, what it can do. It's like, where did that come from? Was he hardwired for it? Did he manufacture that, create that, figure that out? Like, why was he so enthusiastic? Well, I do think that all of us have a type and, you know, Deion Sanders had a quote back when he was playing. He said, we're unlimited within our limits. And I, I, so I do think, like, this kid, in, in, for example, his type was, was one of pretty high energy. But I think for all of us, you, me, whoever, within that type, if we can get to that far right end of where we want to be in these qualities that we know affect winning and affect success, that's how we're going to be, you know, be happiest and most successful. So, Shaka, I know you didn't put a name on it, but was he the player that you stayed at VCU for in 2014? He was one of them. There was two, him and a, a kid by the name of Travion Graham. Both those guys were finishing their junior year in 2014. And I, I knew that just getting a chance to be around. Those guys taught me more than I taught them. So, you know, sometimes as a coach, and I know fans don't really look at it this way, but sometimes, like, you want to be around guys, not even so much the impact you're going to have on them, 
but the way that they make you feel every day, just coming to work and being around them and, and getting a chance to share. So, uh, absolutely, uh, that, was, that was a special group. That's really interesting. Both NBA guys, too. So, like, what else, aside from enthusiasm and attitude, what else did you learn from those two? Well, those guys were polar opposites in terms of their personalities. But the one thing that they had in common that and I, I think Jim is really, really missing amongst a lot of players, and I'm, I'm not trying to be critical, but if you watch basketball, um, a lot of guys miss this, and Baylor really had it, and it's a big part of why they won. I know it's easy to say in retrospect, but I would have said this three months ago, is a level of seriousness about what the heck you're doing out there. Like, of course we're trying to have fun. Of course, you know, it, it, it's a game. But, man, if it comes down to me honoring this detail a little bit more than you, having that seriousness and intentionality, those two kids at VCU had it, the Baylor team, almost all those guys being in the same league as them, watching them, they had it. You could see it in warm-ups. And you knew in warm-ups, like, these guys are not messing around right now. These guys are here to get something done. And again, kind of like enthusiasm, I think that gives you a big edge. I think that's such a great, great point, Shock. And really quickly, to that point, though, I watch Baylor, and it seems to me like, right, these, these guys ain't playing. They ain't playing. But, man, they still play with joy, though, right? They're still happy. They're still having fun. They do both extremely well. Absolutely. But the key, Jim, and, and again, this is, I think for everything in life, this is the key, is that they were able to lose themselves in the present moment. And when you, are, when you are lost in the present, when I say lost, I mean you lose track of all that BS, all that stuff that really doesn't matter but that sometimes our minds get caught up in, sometimes social media feeds into. When you lose that stuff and just completely get obsessed with, I'm right here with my teammates enjoying this, going after it, trying to compete with these dudes, that's where it's at. And that's where you can have both the seriousness and the great enjoyment for being in that time. Man, that that point right there, Shock. I could talk to you for hours about that point that you just made. I'm so glad you made that. Marquette's got a new head coach. It is Shaka Smart. They're coming off a year where they were 13 and 14, but he is back home in state. Shaka, great to have you on the program. Really appreciate the energy, and it's good to have you on this show once again, Shaka. Thanks so much. No, I'm a big fan of yours, man. Anytime you call, I'm definitely coming on. So thank you for having me. I'm going to take you up on that, Coach. You know that, Shaka. Let's get it. Starting with social media beefs. Rome, my beef is with PGA Spectator guy who yells, get in the hole from the tee box on a par four. It's not getting in the hole, idiot. Son, Mark. Hey, Mark, 1988 called. They want their beef back. I mean, you're right. You're just not original. Shiny baby. Now this is original. Shiny baby tweets. Rome. My beef is with tennis guy going leg up on the empty chair next to him as he sips a martini on the restaurant's patio after a long match. Dude, nobody wants to see your balls. I haven't heard that beef before. At Mokmoda tweets, my beef is all these rude driving, pompous, sad looking, plastic Californians moving to my state. If Cali is so great, stay there. Idaho is full. I feel you, Frankie, but 
It's not that California is not so great. It's that California is so expensive. This is why everybody's leaving. Ryan in Sacktown. Snagger. My beef is with coworkers who clip their fingernails at work. Dodging shards of keratin from your disgusting digits isn't in my job description. It's good. A.C. Slater's chair tweets, My beef is with neighbors who interrupt the contractor working on your house to get an idea on what their project may look like. Let the guy finish my house stuff first and wait your turn. Johnny Scabs, my beef is with gas station bathroom vending machines. Every time I put my money in, they're always out of French ticklers. Scabs, why would you even need to spend your money on that? Why not light your money on fire, Scabs? Smash WFI in Nashville tweets, my beef is with adults that call their parents mommy and daddy. Grow the hell up. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is with people announcing on Twitter that they're going to take a break from Twitter. Good. Nobody cares, butthole. Nobody cares. They're all buttholes out there. They really are. Uh, Bella B. Bella B going in on buttholes. Rome. Here's my beef. Why must the purchase of ink cartridges for a home printer necessitate filling out paperwork for a second mortgage. It's ink, right? Not freaking gold melted down into cartridges. The printer itself costs less than the cartridges. Does ammo cost more than a gun? When is a tank of gas going to be more than the car? And why does the printer feel the need to print 48 test pages and thereby drain half the cartridge you just spent two months' salary on? Stu in the 405. Very well done. Extremely well done. Is it me or whenever you go to buy a cartridge, do they want a monthly commitment? I just want two. Why do I have to make, it's like a gym membership to buy ink for a home printer. He's right. Hi, Jim. I have a beef with people who drive up to the bank teller and proceed to spend the next half hour there. Hey, loser, are you applying for a mortgage? Are you having lunch? Have your transactions ready before you drive up. And once they send you the receipt, do your shuffling of paperwork after you've driven away. You selfish hacks. Sarah T. Sarah, you know what's even worse? When the bank tellers talk to you. I've got more of a problem with them talking to me than you talking to them. I I keep forgetting to turn Siri off. You know what, sometimes when Siri goes off on my phone, I don't know if it's that or Alvin popping a drop because it sounds kind of similar to me, like in my ear. Anyway, hey, Rome, my beef is with accent. All I wanted was for her to represent her country of turkeys. Signed, Paul Pierce's. Say hi, accent. I'm turkeys. We've been to turkeys before. Fireds. He got fireds. Jeremiah in Greenville. This guy addresses this one to lamb smack. My beef is plant-based people. Back when I used to be a server, every now and then, guests would hit me with, yo, waiter, I'm vegan. What can I order here? Hi, vegan. I'm waiter. Stop coming to steakhouses. Good job, Miguel. 
Miguel in the 5-6-2. You get applause. Tan smack. I have a huge beef. I just watched the whole trailer for the new Space Jam movie, and I didn't hear or see Jim Rome reprising his blockbuster role. This is a huge oversight. Alex and Corona. Dude, your beef is not half my beef with that. I'm not going to even lie. I'm not even going to take the high road. I'm not even going to be classy about this, a-holes. How do you make that movie without me? I'm the reason the first movie got made. Baseball bat. Go find Get it and watch it. Tennis racket. I mean, I'm not even playing. I will not take the high road. I will not be classy about that. I will not roll with that, a-holes. They don't even, I don't even want to be in your damn movie. How's that? Gym guy. I've got beef with people who use a handkerchief to blow their nose, then fold it up and stick it back into their pocket. Great. No more snot in, <laughs> no more snot in your nose. Now it's all inside your trousers. Use a tissue. Blow a snot rocket. Literally anything else. You don't need to hang on to that. Shave and buff. Shafe and Buffalo, I should say. that That's the winner right now. That's the leader in the clubhouse. He's kind of got a point, right? Now you're dragging all of that bacteria and all that illness around with you. Hey, Romy, my beef is with jungle imposters calling the show with the name Evan in Oregon. Who do you think you are? I am. This practitioner of rat finkism is tarnishing my brand with his subpar smack. You have two options, Evan. Either leave my state or change your name before I change your face. Signed, the real and original Evan in Oregon. I like it. That's how you finish that portion. Let's go to the phones. It is the beef section or the beef segment and the phone section. Let's go to CJ in the Bay. This guy knows how to do it. CJ, what's up? What's your beef? SoCal Jim, my beef is school going back to in-person sessions because that needle neck Gavin hasn't pulled himself out of the garbage can long enough to bless us with those golden pipes. And two, clones going with shirtless biopics tells me a few things. One, you're creepy. Two, you're unemployed. Three, Chris Hansen may be in your future. B-I-C equals Brad is creepy. Class it up, bro. Rack him. Not very often that a beef gets racked. Rack him. B-I-C is Brad is creepy. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Valencia. Matt. What's up, Matt? What's your beef? Hey, Jim. Great interview with Shaka Smart, by the way. Thank you very much. I got beef with Magic Johnson. Now, I grew up during Showtime, and I got mad respect. But last weekend, Magic goes on CBS between Final Four games as an analyst, but clearly can't take the time to even learn the names of the stars. When asked to break down UCLA Gonzaga, Magic says, UCLA's got to rely on Johnny, um, their point guard. Really, Magic? Here, let me help you out with that. His name is Johnny Juzang. Learn it. He's going to be on your TV for a long time. And he's not the Bruins point guard. He is, however, the guy who dropped 27 on your Spartans, ending their tournament run before it even got started. He is the guy who led the Pac-12's dominance of the tournament this year while the Big Ten sucked ass. Do some homework, Magic, or get off my TV. I'm out. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. 
Irv is a lot of things, a lot of positive things. Irv is not a good analyst. He's just not. That guy's not wrong with what he said. Let's go to Rochester. John in Rochester. Hey, John, what's your beef? Hey, John. Man, Smack, it's an honor to talk to a Hall of Famer. Thank you very much, bro. uh, My beef is my Easter was ruined uh, Easter Sunday driving. I see eight dudes jogging, and they're all wearing uh, Easter bunny ears. It it reminded me of uh, Hawk. I, I was so enraged. Ruined my whole Easter. I'm sorry about that, bro. That sucks. He's also not wrong. He saw eight dudes jogging in bunny ears, and it wrecked his Easter. I could see how it might. But it reminded him of Hawk. Adam, do you run in bunny ears? Do you have seven friends who run in bunny ears with you? What? I don't really know why that reminded him of Hawk. But it did. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Margo in Buffalo. Hey, Margo, what's your beef? Hello. Hello. So my beef is with the how many rings you got guy. I'm Bills Mafia, Bills, go Bills. It's our time. No matter where you are or what you're doing, you say you're a Bills fan, you always got that guy. How many rings you got? How many? We know we went to four Super Bowls. We know we lost four Super Bowls. Must you? Thanks, Dan Smack. I like that, Margo. Hey, Margo, how many rings you got? Just kidding. I, I like Margo when she starts her phone call off with, hello. Kind of made me smile. Good job, Margo. War Lady Clones. War Lady I've got Clones. a good, good feeling you're going to get one. I have a good feeling there's going to come a day in the not-too-distant future where you don't have to worry about that anymore. I think you're going to get one. Let's go to San Francisco. Mario, what's up, man? What's your Thanks beef? Thanks for the vine. Uh, my beef is with the guy showing up to our monthly staff meetings riding his Peloton. First off, why are you riding your Peloton during a staff meeting in the first place? Second off, at least have the courtesy to turn off your camera. No one wants to see you riding your Peloton. Good job. You're working out. We're all proud of you. Stop being a bag and turn off the camera. Thanks, Rome. I'm I got out. you, Mario. I'm a Peloton guy, and I I know what you're saying. I mean, nobody wants to see anybody doing anything other than engaging in the call when they're on the call, right? Or turn off the camera. It's not even a Peloton thing per se, although it is to him. That's fair. I'm a Peloton guy, but this is a beef segment, and I did say to you, you can beef about anything you want. Let's keep this thing going. I don't want this thing ever to end. It's good. 1-800-800. 636-8686. If I'm getting a phone call from Alaska, you know I'm going to Alaska, of course. I love that we have an affiliate in Anchorage. Greg in Alaska. What's up, Greg? How you doing, Jimmy? Good, dude. Hey, How about you? What's your beef, beef? My beef is with the big head. You always say you don't know where he lives. Google it. He lives here in Anchorage, Alaska. Google flight deck. He owns a bar, a lounge and a pizza delivery company. I'm out. All right, my man. I like that. I, I, I will. I will Google that. And it would not surprise me at all. Let me tell you something about that guy with the head, the big head. It would not surprise me at all to discover that he lives in Alaska or that he owns a bar 
and a pizza joint and a delivery company and, hell, I don't know, a dry cleaning service. My man has got his hand in a lot of things. A lot of things. In fact, if you were to Google this cat, you would not believe the places he shows up. You, you don't know this dude. You know how I always say, you know how I always say about athletes, we don't know any of these guys? I don't know any of my staffers, including that guy with the enormous head, nor do I know where he lives, where he resides, what he does, other than during the three hours that I host this show, he will text me a bunch of nonsense and gibberish. Negative Ghost Rider, the pattern is full. Yo, head. Can I do that? This guy is too much. Man, this dude really is too much. This dude is too much. I'm waiting on a reaction. I don't know if he's messing with me or if it's true. I want to confirm it before I say it. 1-800-636-8686. Big head, inform me. When I said you never know when this guy might show up, Big Head now informs me that he may show up this evening on Entertainment Tonight. Not with me. So obviously my man is doing something on the side. Entertainment Tonight. First of all, dude, there is not a TV studio anywhere big enough to size your head. That's got to be your voice only, right? Dude, don't you dare go on that show and disrespect my guy, Butter. Kevin Frazier. Kevin Frazier, man, what a legend. I love Kevin Frazier. Kevin Frazier is one of the best dudes, one of my best friends ever. Don't you go on his show and disrespect him. Had there's no way they would put your head. Not on satellite, not on studio, not in person. There isn't a TV studio in the world big enough for that head. I know it's a voice call or a Zoom call. All right, Cologne, you've been warned. Big Head might be on entertainment tonight this evening. I'll be looking for it. Let's keep this segment going. Like I said, I hope it never, ever, ever ends. Let's go to Denver, right? Nils. Nils, what's up? What's your beef? Hey, Jim. Thanks for the call. Uh, thanks for letting me on. Hey, my beef is with Cronky Sports. Listen, we here in Denver, we're not the ones who built your stadium $2 billion over budget in L.A. Let us watch our Nuggets and let us watch our Avalanche. Figure out a deal with the two cable providers and let us watch some games, please. I mean, at a time when the Rockies can't figure out their third baseman all-star can be traded for more than a box of peanuts and John Elway can't figure out a quarterback, you have a chance to get real fans, and you're losing us. Thanks, man. Dude, good job. Well done. That's a straight sports take that was converted into beef. That was well done. Nils in Denver. 1-800-636-8686. So what that guy did was he took a sports take and he turned it into a beef. I'm going to ask you to do the impossible. I'm going to ask you to flip that on its head. Do the reverse. Take your beefs and turn them into sports takes. Well, you know what you do? Just call with a sports take outside of this segment. That would work. Got to get her in, right? What's a beef segment without Kathleen? Kathleen, I know you have beef. What's up? I, oh, Roman Reigns is another one that's a pain in my ass. I can't stand him, and I hope like hell 
at WrestleMania that my dude, the Rated R Superstar Edge, takes the Universal title from him. You got it, Kathleen. Normally, I reserve wrestling takes to and make them exclusive to the Good Brothers. They come in and they do what they do. But with Kathleen, quote, here is another pain in my ass. Roman Reigns. Obviously not hot enough for you, right, Kathleen? Kathleen goes one of two ways. It's black or white. You're either extremely hot or you're a pain in her ass. How do I know that? Because she says so. She's made that really clear. Really, really clear. And with that, this is great. Like, I want to keep this going, but I was like, dude, dude, hang up on all the calls or he'll never stop taking them. And then it'll be my ass because the clock is broken. Good night now!